Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procreus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Hey, we're glad you're here. Glad you're hanging out with us. I'm going to tighten this so it doesn't fall over. Uh, and if you're, this is your first time with us, we're so thankful you're, you're with us today. My name's Mike. I'm one of the elders, and I have the, the honor most weeks to stand up here and share, but we have other guys who do that as well, and I'm excited as the summer goes, you'll start hearing some of, the, some of our other voices preaching out of Acts. We've been doing, uh, it, it, it is our general passion here that we preach straight through books of the Bible. Now we do, sometimes we'll do series on topics and, and talk about felt needs or challenges in the world or, or other issues. But most of the time we just go straight through books. And this book acts as an amazing uh, book. It is telling a story. The story starts with just a few people in the city of Jerusalem uh, within just a few days, actually 40 days after Jesus died and rose again is when the story picks up with 120 people. By the time we get to the end of this story, the story of Jesus and his people, the church, have spread to every major Roman uh, city in the Roman Empire. And that is kind of the big picture idea. When I teach uh, New Testament, uh, I, I tell my, my students as we study Acts, I remind them, listen, this story is not possible apart from the supernatural power of God. It can't happen in the ancient world. There's no printing press, there's no internet, there's no way to disseminate and get information out quickly, but the gospel spreads at, at breakneck pace, filling the Roman Empire with Christianity, and at the same time, uh, growing persecution, trying to stomp it out, both from Romans and from Jewish religious authorities, trying to kill Christianity, and they can't stop it. Nothing can stop it. And, and so this is kind of where the story goes. And uh, I love that Eric's kind of brought us back to a few moments in this of telling stories of miracles and there's stories of healings. And, but also one thing that was happening was this growing persecution and, and the tension there. But the, the spread of this gospel, the, the start of the church, the advance of disciples being made cannot be stopped. And it won't be stopped until Christ returns. And so, notice, hopefully you grabbed a Bible. If you didn't, uh, there are baskets that have Bibles in them. We would love for you to make sure you have one of those in the book of Acts. Um, and uh, uh, if you have it on an app or whatever, go ahead and grab it. I want you to kind of follow along because we'll be looking at different things in this text this morning. Uh, but what has happened up to this point, like I said, is that there has been two things happening. That the church in this one city, right now, all of Christianity is in this one city of Jerusalem. 
It has not spread past there yet. But in this city, the growth went from 120 people to 3,000, over 5,000 men to, it's just spreading so fast, they can't keep count to the point where we get at the end of our text today where it's spreading so fast that it's even impacting even the, the religious leaders in Jerusalem. But at the same time, we have seen over the last few weeks that the heat is, is turning up. As those in Jerusalem see Christianity as a present threat to their power, their, their ideologies, their worldview, their, their convictions, and as that is growing and it is pushing against that, some people are coming to believe in Jesus as their king, their Lord, and trusting in him. Others are becoming more and more frustrated, and those in power in Jerusalem have now turned to a threat of the loss of life for the 12 men who followed Jesus and who are kind of at the center of the story. And, and so that tension is the tension that exists in all of, all of history of Christianity. The tension of the gospel going forth, it, it's spreading, and, and churches being planted, and the fact that wherever it goes, there's a tendency for there to be persecution and hardship. And the story of Christianity through all history is that the more the heat is turned up, the more the gospel thrives. The more they try to kill people and, and wreck their lives because they believe in Jesus, the more that Christians have suffered well for the glory of God, and the more the larger culture have seen the way Christians went to their death and seen the unity within the church, seen the love of Christian people for each other, and have been drawn to this in the midst of persecution and hardship. And that, that's what's going to happen in this story. But, but the other thing that happens in Acts that is extraordinary is how it spreads and who it spreads to. So real quick, look again, verse one of this text. Starts with, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number. They were multiplying. The, the disciples were increasing in the city right now. It's gonna explode from the city to the world shortly in Acts. But right now in Jerusalem, it is increasing uh, in number. Verse seven, look down at verse seven. It says, then the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Do you see it? The spread is happening very quickly. And then even in this text, it tells us, and many of the priests became obedient to the faith. What's that? What's that a reference to? These are the same people. The, sa the priests and religious leaders are the same crowd of people that in the previous chapter had persecuted and were, were you know, led the apostles to this trial where they were threatened and beaten and warned if they keep preaching Jesus, their lives will end. And in that story, the apostles leave there rejoicing. It's crazy. You have to go back and listen to last week's sermon because that phrase catches me every time. They left after getting beaten and warned that their lives would end. They left rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the sake of the name of Jesus. And that flows right into, you can't stop this. You can't stop this. It's not going to stop, right? But there is always dangers lurking in the water. And so I can look at Scripture and tell you the whole story. I can tell you that you can't stop this. This good news of Jesus Christ is going to every tribe, every people, every nation, people from every Every language and group on planet Earth are going to believe in Jesus and will spend eternity with the saints, with the believers in Jesus in heaven, rejoicing and worshiping and celebrating the redemption and salvation that only Christ can offer. You can't stop this. Yet, there are places where things will happen that cause 
in those places, among those specific churches, in, in those regions, the gospel work to be broken, slow down, and hurt. Now, now I'm going to tell you that one of the hardest things for me is I, I look at our world right now, and very specifically, our culture and context, is it feels like here in the West, here in our United States of America, very specifically, the spread of the gospel, the impact of the church, the, 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 the difference-making power of Jesus through his people in the world is waning. It's not waning in the whole world. But all the metrics about things like baptism rates, how many people are coming to faith in church, how many people are going to church, this whole idea of the rise of the nuns, that there's a whole lot more people, and by the way, that's not a lady in a habit in a black dress, okay? The rise of the nuns are people who are now clicking none on their, when they're asked what their religious preference is, they are just not involved. The number of people who don't get up, and it's true here in our, our city, Eureka, there are more and more people who have just as a matter of rhythm of life are choosing to stay in bed and not get up. COVID compounded that. Meanwhile, the church's effectiveness to have any impact on this culture, man, it just seems to, to, to not be working and, and it is waning. And there is a big struggle here. Yet, around the world, places like Africa and South America, Sub-Saharan Africa, South America, the Middle East, the church is exploding. Christianity is advancing. People coming to believe in Jesus in some of the hardest places to believe. And I'm thankful for that, but I don't want God to be done here. And so what can cause this? Well, this text actually, it, like I grew up re having this text read a lot in church services. And so if, if you grew up in church, maybe you've heard this, that this is kind of the precursor to deacons and elders and deacons of the church, two key offices. And, and that is true. And so I could stand up here and preach a, a, a sermon this morning that says, all right, what we need to do is we need to develop more leaders. And I'm at, we're actually going to get there. It is an application of the sermon. But there is something else deep and, and, and intentional going on here that we need to see this morning in our context and culture and see what's happening in the text. Because here is what happens. Not only does the gospel spread, but one of the crazy insane things that happens all through Acts. So if you decide to hang out with us and keep going, I'm coming back here because it is a theme. It is a major theme in Acts that when the gospel goes to a place and people come to believe in Jesus and they place their faith and trust in him, God for his purpose, for his glory, for his cause, chooses to save people who are different from one another, intentionally. And what happens is those people who are often culturally, ethnically, linguistically, politically, I mean just on every level, different, end up in the same church. And in a lot of cases, it's not quite this bad here in this one, but it's close. But we will get to other places where literally we will have people who would not have anything to do with each other. They hated each other. They despised each other before meeting Christ, and now they are in the same church together, singing and worshiping Jesus. It becomes one of the crazy miracles, and what happens in the larger Roman world, it's one of the reasons the church spreads, is in the larger Roman and Jewish and the cultural world, they begin to look at people who, if they were just hanging out 
before Christ would have nothing to do with each other are now calling these people that they hated before brothers and sisters. They're hanging out in each other's homes and loving one another. And it's a miracle of God that nobody can make sense of. But what they say, our culture can't do this. The church is. Something's going on there that doesn't make sense. I got to check this out. And the danger that we have is, is that happening with us? We are, even in the church, are moving towards more monolithic expressions of faith. In other words, it's no longer just enough to look alike. We literally have to think alike to, to do church together. A recent study came out from the Barna Institute that said that 42% of pastors... In 2022, 42%. Now, I want you to think about that. That's a a significant percentage. 42% of pastors said that they have seriously contemplated quitting and leaving the ministry. They are burned out. I want to lovingly tell you, I get that. Not just myself a little bit, but I see like COVID and some of the other things have gone on. But I see that in friends that I have that are in ministry who it's hard. I'm blessed here, but, but there have been days. They tell you in seminary, do not write a resignation on Monday morning. That's good advice. But as you ask, as, as they pried further into the reasons, there was the pressure and, and, and the mounting struggle that is going on. There was... Um, uh, uh, the uh, loneliness, the fact that a lot of pastors are just lonely. They feel like they're alone and nobody really wants to be their friends, but everybody wants to be their, their enemy. There's a lot of loneliness. But one of the major, major reasons, and I'm hearing this over and over again, is the massive division in our culture that shows up just like in the, in the church, just like it does in the culture. That, that they're literally terrified to open the scriptures and try to apply it properly because they're going to tick somebody off and somebody's leaving. This text is about the multiplication of the gospel. It is about the multiplication of the gospel. But it is also wedged between these two statements, and it's intentional. The way Luke writes, he wedges between these two statements of the multiplication of the gospel, a moment where the gospel work in Jerusalem could have been in serious trouble. And what we see as we read through this is that there's actually multiple places where this shows up. And in this case, it's around just, it says, there were Hellenists and Hebraic Jews. And we read that, and if you don't even know what's going on, you're like, I don't even know what that means. Who are Hellenists and Hebraic Jews? And let's start with the fact that Hellenists are Greek-speaking. These are all Jewish people, ethnically or at least religiously. We're going to meet one guy in a minute who isn't ethnically Jewish, but he has embraced the Jewish religion. But they're religiously and ethnically Jewish in their background, heritage, and story. Yet, they come from different extremes in terms of where they grew up or how they grew up with their languages. So Hellenistic Jews speak Greek as their primary language. Okay? They have taken GSOL. You'll get that in a minute instead of ESOL, GSOL. They took Greek as their, they, they learned Greek. They're Greek-speaking people. Now, why is that true? The reason that is true is because for 150 years, 
The Greek Empire dominated the world. The Greek Empire spread everywhere. And the Greek Empire chose to spread their ideas, their thought, their culture everywhere in the world. And what they wanted to do, they, they, they told people in every culture, you can maintain your t- temples, you can t- maintain your, some of your values, but you have to embrace the Greek language and you need to start buying into the Greek thought education way of doing life. It was called Hellenism. And if you've ever went to study history, you've studied the Hellenistic period and the importance of that. It became a major, major world phenomenon that changed the world drastically everywhere except Jerusalem. Where in Jerusalem and in Israel, the Jewish people who said, we have one God, our our story is that we have been judged because we kind of blended in with the other nations. Not here. And they threw up their hands and said, we're not going to embrace this. Well, a little bit later, the Romans overthrew the Jews, and the Romans continued the same emphasis, and they're doing all kinds of amazing things like building aqueducts and roads. They're, they're changing the infrastructure of Israel so that there were literally roads built in the first century. This time in history, there were roads built in Israel that were still used until they had to be replaced with roads for cars. A thousand years, roads built that were so good, they didn't have to be re- replaced for a thousand years. I'm driving down Highway 44. They shut it down like five years ago and made us drive on one lane to get through. And that whole road is a wreck already. And it was a thousand years. The Romans, been, like, that's cool, right? Yet, for a lot of Jewish people, think of people, they were like, we are not going to speak Greek. We have our native tongue. And we are not embracing the worldview and attitudes and values. So when you see this conflict around food distribution between the Hellenists and the Hebraic Jews, you need to know that in Jerusalem, this is the political, social issue that has fragmented that culture. There are people on either side. There are Hellenists and non-Hellenists. And as you study the New Testament, this this sermon doesn't give me time to do it, but I will tell you it's true. As you study the New Testament, you meet all these groups, like the Sadducees. We talked about them last week. They're sad, you see, right? The Pharisees, the Zealots, the the Hellenists, the the, uh, uh, Herodians. Every single political group had formed over a response to Hellenism, to Greek and Roman occupation and world domination. And most of the Greek groups in Jerusalem had dug in their heels and said, not here. But now what you have is this this growing multicultural movement. Because the other thing that had happened for the last 600 years is that Jews, because of the, the Babylonian exile, this moment where they were all ripped from their homeland, lived all over the world. And every major city in the Roman, Greek and Roman empires had a Jewish community because of this, it's called the diaspora, the spreading out. And people who grew up anywhere else had learned Greek as their primary language because that's Greece made Greek the language of the empire. Now, a lot of you grew up Catholic, and you know that Latin was like the language of the church. Why was Latin the language of church? Because Latin was the language of Rome. About 100 years later, Latin had completely replaced Greek as the language of the empire. But here's these Jews going, not here, we speak Hebrew. But you have a whole bunch of people who now had flooded, moved back to Jerusalem, different, different uh, you know, journeys and trips. They decided just to stay there, or maybe they were really involved in the commerce of the world. They were Greek-speaking, Greek-thinking Jewish people. It is the fault line in Jerusalem. And here's the danger of the text. Will the church in Jerusalem, while it is multiplying, fragment over what is fragmenting the culture? Will it part 
and blow up and split up, or will they find a way to fight for unity? That's the question that this text is all about. While it addresses deacons and leaders, it is primarily asking that question. And so that's what we want to hit this morning. And and what's happened already in the story of Acts is that we've seen these threats to the advance of the gospel. There are external threats. And by the way, these threats and and acts are threats for us. There are external threats, like the threat of, uh, the external threat of persecution, of being looked down on because of our faith, of being told that if we don't agree with certain things in the culture, that we just can't exist, that we can't have our jobs, or we, we can't speak. And every culture has these things where the culture is looking at us and say, listen, to stay in our culture, to speak in our culture, you must agree with us on these. But those things means that we have to give up Christ and the gospel itself. And if not, we're persecuted. And so all of a sudden we have fear. This can damage the gospel. We, we can... We can pull back and try to cater to the culture and lose the gospel. Like this external threat is there. In our context, it's not been great, but it's growing. This external threat of persecution, of being ostracized and marginalized because we believe in Jesus, if those of us in here believe, you just need to know that threat is coming more and more in our culture. And, and it becomes a danger if we do not listen to what the apostles say, where they say, listen, we must obey God rather than men in Acts 5.29. At the end of the day, we have to obey God rather than men. If, if honoring God and honoring the culture are in conflict, we trust in Christ. But this is around the gospel, the spread of the gospel. But there are also all kinds of uh, several internal, so external, outside of us, people in our culture putting pressure on us, internal threats to the gospel, to the spread of the gospel uh, that have arisen in Acts and, and can arise in our church. Let me share a few of those internal threats, things that happen, can happen in here. First of all, there can be sin in the camp. We saw this with the story of Ananias and Sapphira a few chapters ago, where this couple who had kind of lied to God and were trying to swindle themselves into a place of leadership, and God acted succinctly and certainly judging them in a moment where they both dropped dead at a worship service on a Sunday morning. That would change the metric of our service today, right? Where God goes, not in my people. And there is sin in the camp. There is the danger of false teachers and false teaching. People who twist the, the scriptures, who twist who Jesus is, who give us a different God and a different Jesus and a different gospel. And we begin to cater to that, allow that in. And so uh, the, the standing against that, I think that was part of the motivation of the Ananias and Sapphira story, was the danger that if they got in leadership, they would be false teachers with false values, and, and God protects his bride. He protects his people. And so we have to fight for that and, and be careful of that because that can distort and kill the gospel. I think one of the things that has harmed the gospel greatly in our context is the fact that our biggest churches and loudest preachers are people who are preaching a false gospel, the gospel that is called the health and wealth gospel, that is no gospel at all. And, and, and that's hard because when people hear us talking about Jesus, they think We're talking about that. Trust in Jesus and you'll get everything you want. Trust in Jesus, you'll get a new car. Trust in Jesus. And they see the greed that is underpinning that. And people look at that and they go, that's really disgusting. Meanwhile, others say, I'm going to join that because I want all the stuff they're promising. They don't sing songs like we just sang here. Where they say, listen, I'm giving myself away. Wash me or I'll die. It's all you. You know, that, that becomes central, and that's a false gospel that has harmed the spread of the true gospel in our context. And the other one that is massive that is going on here is this danger of broken unity, that the unity of the church which Jesus prayed for and Jesus commanded and Jesus gave us can quickly fragment. 
and be destroyed. And so, so simple question. Are, are we going to multiply or are we going to divide? It's a math question. Now, when it comes to math questions, I don't like them. I don't like math. Okay? Uh, I, I find math to be frustrating. Meanwhile, uh, in my family, uh, my sister is a math teacher, and uh, my, my son who's sitting over here who plays drums is a math whiz. He told us one day, so he's cheering for math. Yay, math, right? He told me one day, we were talking to him, and he told us one day he thinks in math. I have no idea what that means. I think in words personally, but anybody else with him? Anybody else in here thinking math? A, a couple hands going up maybe? All right, so he thinks in math. I, I don't get it, but, but I do know this from math, okay? I do know this, that I have always liked multiplication better than division. Division, you ended up with fractions, you ended up having to figure things out, and they always gave you this illustration, like this should prove it. Multiplication is better than division, because they would say, all right, you have this pie, and we cut it into this many pieces. This is what we're going to divide it by. How many pieces do you have? And I want to look at it and say, I don't want to divide pies, I want to multiply. Just give me the whole pie and make more. <laughs> Enough of this cut in the pie. We're not dividing, we need to multiply. See, that was better, that was easier. Um, I got a few math jokes for you. I, I saw my math teacher with a piece of graph paper yesterday. I think he must be plotting something. <laughs> what did the triangle say to the circle? You're pointless. You guys are like, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> Parallel lines have so much in common, it's a shame they nev they'll never meet. I had an argument with a 90-degree triangle, or 90-degree angle. Turns out he was right. <laughs> and last one I have, there are three kinds of people in the world, those who can count and those who can't. <laughs> I resonate with that one. I resonate. The simple question in this text, will they divide or will they keep multiplying? That's what's happening, okay? And so let's look at this. I want to look at how they can, the, the danger of division the beauty of multiplication. That's what happens in the text. The danger of division and then the beauty of multiplication. What happens in this story is that they are at a moment where the, the, the issues that are fragmenting their culture. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about what they are in ours. I will hit a few of them. But you need to realize that, that this is happening. For the love of God, I don't want it to happen here. It is happening in our culture. People are leaving churches because what is fragmenting the culture, their pastor says something, and it has happened here. I'm just letting you know. People have bugged out because they heard me say something where I said, listen, gospel people have to have a different way, and they're like, nope, I want to go to a church that's telling me like, that it's going to stand with this, this, and this, and nothing else. But I want us to be a gospel people. I don't want us to get off track. I want us to stay centered on the gospel. That is what's going on here. And so I want to first of all talk about the danger of division. I grew up in a great church. The church I grew up in, actually there's a few people here today that grew up in the same church I did. And, and our growing up years, man, it was awesome. There were kids everywhere. Uh, we had this gymnasium. The gymnasium was full of kids every weekend, every Friday night, man. All kinds of stuff happening in the gym uh, as kids were there. And it was kind of an open for everybody sort of sort of thing. And then there was this athletics program, man, 
all kinds of kids' sports. We had basketball leagues and uh, softball leagues and just all kinds of stuff for all kinds of kids. It was a happening, blowing place. But the church's philosophy at that point in time was to say, listen, we want to share the gospel. We want to reach people for Jesus. We want to make a difference in the world that we're living in. And so what we want to do is we want this gym and these programs to be open to everybody. We want to see how we can share the gospel with these people and kind of funnel them into the church. You had some kids who would do that. They would come to church on Sunday after they'd been around some of the Christian leaders and and amazing people for a while that were part of that church. They would come to church on Sunday morning. But other people, uh, other kids did not. And some of them were a little rough around the edges. Some of the the kids were, you know, not, didn't use all the flowery language. There were kids from different ethnic backgrounds in, in the situation, all this sort of stuff. We'd go to the gym every Friday night, be there. We'd roller skate together. We'd do all this stuff. But some people started getting really frustrated with the fact that these kids weren't showing up at church. And really sometimes what set it off was their kid would be on a church basketball team and weren't getting major playing time because there were all these other kids on the team. And all of a sudden, this growing frustration, anger, and angst. And it wasn't too long before there were people who parted ways. There were divisions. There was a sense of loss of understanding the whole thing. It just turned really broken and ugly. And I remember as an elementary age student feeling the tension in my church and the fragmentation over something that in my mind, like as a kid, I I was like, there's got to be a better solution than splitting this up. And it wasn't long before some some people grabbed their, their stuff and left. Other people, you know, went to other churches. Other people in the church stayed mad. They shut down a lot of the programs. And all of a sudden, this church that was growing and happening in a really good place over a period of time started this decline to where it's just a handful of people today. And I feel like I grew up in a church that chose division over multiplication. What happens in this story there are four real dangers in this story that show up that can fragment, that, that can splinter, that can, that, that can divide a church. So let's look at this, verses 1 and 2. Now in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Now, here's what's happening in the moment. That there is this division. And what's, what's taken place is that there is a very real problem where the, the women who speak Greek, from the families who speak Greek, who are part of this Hellenist tribe in the culture, they are believing in Jesus. And the Hebraic people who are over here believing in Jesus and trusting in Christ are are, are believing in Jesus too. But what's happening is that as they care for the widows, now this is a big deal in most cultures, that when women lose their husbands in most, most cultures, uh, especially third world cultures, it becomes impossible for them to care for themselves. I saw this in Haiti. We used to go to Haiti and, and our relationship with the organization we served in Haiti, they had this widow's ministry. It was an intentional effort to do what the scriptures had told them to do, which was care for widows and the marginalized outcasts. They, they cared for orphans, they cared for widows. Um, the, 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 three, the big three in the Old Testament are widows, orphans, and sojourners, those who show up in your culture who aren't from here. And that the People of God were to be generous and find ways to care. And so every week, these 
grannies would come in. They called them their grannies. These widows would come into the compound there in Haiti, and they would, they would do a worship service with them. They would do a prayer time. They would feed them a meal. They would send them away with a jar of peanut butter and a bag of rice that they could cook for the next week and make sure they had a little bit of protein, a little bit of rice if they had nothing else, and just sustain them and take care of them. They were always helping them with other little needs. Like, it was something that was active. Now, imagine that this is what's going on in this early church. We've seen this. People were giving, selling fields to care and selling houses to care for the poor. And now the distribution, somebody's taking care of the distribution. What's happening is people on this side, and I don't want to be like, it's, you guys are the one side, you guys, but, but understand, people on this side of the aisle who speak Hebrew, man, they're getting cared for. But what's happening is people over here on this side who aren't being, uh, who, who don't speak Hebrew, they're kind of getting dissed. They're kind of getting, like, they're, they're missing the point, and, and they feel like they are being neglected. And so what you have is a very real problem that is rooted in what goes, goes on in the culture, the fact that, that this political, racial, or, or uh, 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 link, this political and linguistic division is creating a problem in the church. And so what you have is a church that is made up of both. They're on both sides of this aisle, both sides of this way of seeing the world. They're culturally different, even though they're ethically the same. They're culturally different. They're language differences. And they are coming together to be one church in Jerusalem, but now they may fragment into two churches. And our first response is, why not? Why not do a Hellenistic church and a Hebrew church? Why not just break into two? And the answer is because in this case, the beauty of the gospel is being revealed in how God works this out. The fact that Hellenists and Hebraic Jews really would struggle to associate and see eye to eye and get along with each other in the culture becomes a thing of beauty when in Christ they are one. Right? You guys are really quiet. And, and so there is this coming together. The, the solution has to address this. There is a real problem. And, and you have this danger of fragmentation, that they would just splinter and fragment. This has kind of been the story for the last several hundred years in Christian circles. But, but here in our culture, it is like around things often that are not central to the gospel. Hellenism and he, speaking Hebrew and Aramaic and seeing the world through Hebrew eyes and, or, or more Greek and Roman eyes is not central to the gospel. You can be a believer in Jesus and come from either side. But it is in danger of, of fragmenting that. How many things in our culture are we... Are we parting ways and arguing and seeing other people as the enemy? How many places are we coming up with labels? Our culture is becoming a, a culture of labels. I create a label, and, and it can be white supremacist or it can be uh, woke. We create a label, and then we just throw anybody we disagree with under that label. And now I don't have to deal with you. But not in the church, not in Christianity. This sort of fragmentation will divide us and it will kill any multiplication. And we're seeing that. I'm just telling you, we're seeing that. And so there is the danger of fragmentation, of dissolving around what uh, splits the culture, just starts splitting the church of Jesus and starts making us where we see each other with contempt and not loving one another, not caring for one another. But another problem that, 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 that creates a problem in here is the fact that there is grumbling. 
It's interesting how Luke writes this. Notice the word where it says, a complaint arose. Well, that's, that's a nice, clean way of cleaning up a word that is in Greek, a, are you ready, an ontomontopoeia. Anybody know what that word means? What's an ontomontopoeia? Man, you guys missed English class too. You don't do math, you don't do English. It's a word that sounds like what you're trying to communicate, right? And this is a word that is literally just sounds like grumble, 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 grumble. It's a Greek word that makes the sound of somebody who's just whining and complaining is what it sounds like. And, and Luke doesn't just say a complaint. He says, they are whining and complaining about this. So it was a real problem. This is a real issue. The fact that these needs are not being cared for by the church is a real issue. But what happens is these people who are being neglected the people who are kind of on their side, instead of trying to find a way to deal with this rightly, they start whining and complaining. It takes us back in the story of the Bible to uh, right after Jesus rescued, or God rescued, redeemed the people from Israel, and they go to grumbling. That's all they do is grumble. They're whining and grumbling in the desert after they had been delivered from slavery. Um, this is what we do. We are really good at this in America, especially American Christians. We are good at having a scowl on our face and be whiny, grumbling people. And I will tell you that there are times where I lead the way, and over the years I've had to repent of this kind of whiny attitude a lot. And it, it can lead to fragmentation. It can lead to division. We divide rather than multiply. Uh, another thing that is very dangerous here is the loss of mission. And that is really key in the text. Listen to what the apostles say here. It, it is not right for us to give up the preaching of the word to wait on tables. They're going to go on here in just a minute and say, the solution, we are going to dedicate ourselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. Here's the danger. That, that they feel this tension and they know it is a right, like there is a problem that must be addressed. But as we figure out how to address the problem, these apostles in the church, if they invest their energy primarily into that, it will pull them off the task of leading this church towards the mission it has and being intentional about the continued advance of the word of God and the gospel. This happens a lot in churches, y'all. It happens when a church determines that the primary responsibility and role of their pastor is to serve as their chaplain. Where basically what, what the, the, the pastor's main job is to constantly be visiting people, to constantly be making sure everybody's happy, to sh show up and solve every problem, to, to be a, an ex-officio member of every committee in the church. Of, of, like He's to spend all his time and energy in caring for the needs of the people. Well, that pastor should be dedicating himself to, and, and, and it's not that those things aren't important. Don't mishear me. But the pastor should be dedicating himself to the mission, the ministry of the word, and the prayer. That's what your elders ought to be primarily focused on. Right? Why? Because the hope of the world is the gospel. And so these, these guys go, man, this is super important. We can't let this go. But if, if we lose the mission, the big mission, and get lost in this smaller issue, we are going to lose what God is doing in his main purpose for us, which is that we are gospel people in a world that needs the gospel. And, and so 
the, the loss of mission is a very dangerous thing. They can fragment because they lose their sense of mission, their sense of direction, their sense of understanding that we exist. There's a quote out there. I love this quote. We have it in our gospel class that the church is the only organization in the world that exists primarily for the benefit of its non-members. Do you get that? We are here for them. They are not our enemy. I listened to a pastor this week in a big church preaching a sermon where he was looking at everybody who didn't agree with him on a political issue, and he began to, began to call them demons and all like using language that was so awful about people who are made in the image of God who need Jesus and need a church to witness and demonstrate Christ through their love, not a church that targets them and forgets them. We cannot lose our sense of why we are doing what we're doing. Right? Amen. I will amen that. Nobody else does. It's why we're here. We are here for them. But there is also this incredible danger to f- failure to show, danger of the failure to show compassion. That the food distribution to the widows matters. It's not that it's not important, it is of utmost importance. It's not that care for the poor and the marginalized that are broken in our culture, care for those who are outsiders, that the, the reaching out and crossing aisles and loving people who are broken in the world doesn't matter. It matters massively. But the tension we have to hold is that we must do this and that. And there are some people whose gifts and callings are for the advance of the mission, and some people whose gifts and callings are for the care of people who are hurting and broken. And, and we must figure out how to do both. And it's important for a couple of reasons. First of all, if, they care, if this church fails to care for these widows, the outside Hebrew world is going to look at them and go, your belief in Jesus is silliness. You can't even do what the Old Testament told you were supposed to do for these people. And you claim to be like, in touch with the one true living God? Come on. For us, what, what happens in Scripture is the Scripture keeps showing us how when the gospel takes root in the lives of a people, it transforms them into the image of Jesus so that the things that he cares about, we care about too. The, the, this, the passion for truth, but holding it with gentleness and respect the love of neighbor, the care for the broken and hurting things of the world, the, the, the love for the outcasts and the marginalized, the intentionally involving itself in the things that are of the world, and, and the coming together of people who would not see the world the same way into one people. This is what makes the church compelling, and it's one of the reasons right now I believe the church is having a hard time being compelling in our culture. I'm just telling you. I don't, we, we are either all in on justice and mercy and we've lost the gospel, or you hear people who say, let's do justice and mercy, and you have a whole pu- bunch of people going, just preach the gospel. That's all we need to do is just preach the gospel. They are both wrong. It is both and. We must demonstrate the gospel through our lives while we proclaim the gospel and are intentional about taking the gospel to our culture. But to do that, in this situation, it's got to be more than just the apostles. And this happens as the church unifies. The unity of the church must be fought for. It must be defended. But the basis of our unity is not 
the things that unify people in a culture. Our unity is around the gospel, which means it will pull people who don't unify around things in a culture together in the church, and they will stand together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 say this. Therefore, a prisoner, as a prisoner of the Lord, Paul is writing, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. To, to maintain the unity of the Spirit. In the bond of peace. What is Paul saying in this text that is being echoed in this story? It is this, that we have to learn to have the skill of having good conversations, but never lose track of the main thing. Here's what happens. That there are all kinds of things in our world that matter, and they matter to you. The scripture is never telling you to stop caring about those things. It's never telling you that if, that if you believe in this issue or that issue, if you stand with this or that, that, that you should stop caring. God may have raised that in you for a purpose and you should pursue that. But it is important that while you hold on to that issue, there is only one gospel. What we unite around is Christ and him alone, right? The fact that he gave his life, he, he lived the life that I should have lived, he died the death that I should have died, he rose again, and that, that the, the Jesus of Scripture, the Jesus who came to the world, can save anybody, no matter where you're at in your background, in your story, your history. That's what unites us. And I, I listen, we got to be a church that is united around that. Here's what this means. If you're passionate about this, and you hear somebody over here who's part of the Christianity, who's passionate about this, and you're like, I, I, I struggle with that. Quit shooting at them and putting labels and go have coffee with them. Sit down and have a conversation. Listen, learn to gain understanding. Learn to have respect and, and do it with gentleness and humility. Stay passionate about the things that the Lord has made you passionate about. But be, be gracious to people who see the world differently. If you're Hebrew, go sit down and have coffee with people who are Grecian Jews. And if you're a Grecian Jew, go, go take, you know, invite your Hebraic Jews to a meal and sit down and get to know them. Relationship and growth and, 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 and hearing one another is vital if we are going to do this. And, and, and this is what happens here. And so there is a solution to this division that keeps them multiplying. We see the beauty of a multiplication. Hit these really quick. First of all, uh, what we see in this story is the multiplication of ownership. Look at the text again. Verses uh, 3 through 6. Therefore, brothers, pick out among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, and we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word and what they said pleased the whole congregate gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and then I'm not going to read the rest of the names, but they set these men before them and they laid hands on them. The solution was to look at this problem and go, it's a real issue. This can't splinter us. We must come up with a real solution. And they raised up leaders that they dedicated to the task. But the first thing I want you to see is that there is a multiplication of ownership. The solution did not start with the apostles getting in a room, deciding what they're going to do, and go do it. They gathered the whole church together, and they said, we have to be in this together. Hebrew Jews, are you ready? Cheer for this. This is what we're doing. Are you in? Hellenistic Jews, you're over here. And I, again, it's not you guys and you guys. I don't know who you are. But anyway, uh, you, are you in? Yes. Okay. We have to own this. The gospel has to be central. We have to care for these people. This is what Jesus wants. We have to do this together. And he brings the, they bring the whole 
church together and the whole church affirms the solution. They are in, on mission, in unity, pursuing the gospel together. They unite around what's important. And so there is a multiplication of ownership. Uh, It is just a beautiful moment where this happens. What happens in this story if the Hebrew Jews stay home? They go, man, we're not not associating with those people. We don't don't agree with them. Why would they bring us all together? What happens if the Greek Jews look and go, man, we're not showing up because we know that those Hebrew Jews will just discard anything we think. They won't have anything to do with us. We're the minority culture here, and they just trample all over us. What would have happened if they would have fragmented and said, all right, here's our goal. Let's just start two churches. Any of those would have killed the movement. But in the spirit of God, they came together. It's beautiful. There's multiplication of ownership. There's multiplication of leaders. They choose seven men to do this. But there's something really interesting in the text. What they're doing is they're going to find seven leaders. They give them qualification. They need to be spirit-filled people who, who love Jesus, who have a good reputation, not just in the church, but in the world around them. Find us those guys. This is a precursor to what we see in First uh, Timothy and Titus as the Bible tells us that the people who serve as deacons and elders of the church must be people of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit. But the thing that's interesting that if you, as you're reading it in English, you may not see is this. They're going to put seven men over the ministry of distribution of food to the widows. Every single one of these men has a Greek name. They intentionally choose people from the minority culture and pull them into leadership over this issue for the cause of making sure that everybody's needs are met. It's a beautiful thing in the text. And this is part of what happens in in the story of the church. That, that, that we have to be willing to open our ears and listen to the other side and even raise up leaders who may not see things exactly. They see the gospel the same way. They love Jesus, but they may, may not agree with me on this issue or that issue, and we learn to listen to them. And so they multiply leaders. We, we at Genesis have an intentional track for this. It's called Leadership 222, a nine-month track that is designed for multiplying our leaders, of so taking people who are growing in their faith, who are disciples, and saying, here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend nine months with you and intentionally pour leadership and gospel and things into your life so that you will grow in your faith and you will come out on the other side a leader. We just finished it. It's a fantastic thing. If you've never gone through it and you are growing as a believer, I would challenge you to consider this and uh, Uh, August and September, when we kick off, we have the multiplication of leaders. We also have the multiplication of ministry. The church stays on task. It cares for widows. It it multiplies. It keeps growing. It's growing like crazy, which means that they need more and more care, more and more ministry, more and more evangelism, more and more stuff. And these, these seven men allow this. And what's interesting, the way Luke writes, he sometimes raises names, puts them out there, and then comes back to them. Two of the names, Stephen and Philip, do way more than than poverty care. They become evangelists. We're going to meet Stephen in our next story. And, and, and his story is super important to this whole story. We're going to meet Philip a couple times, and he's going to show up even at the end of Acts. And they, by that time, they call him Philip the Evangelist. He's just preaching Jesus everywhere he goes. They are multiplying leadership, so they're multiplying ministry, which ends up with the multiplication of disciples the multiplication of disciples. They're to make disciples, not just grow a church. They're to pour in the lives of people and help people become devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And that's what's happening in the story. 
So, so here's the deal. If, if you are here today and, and you are not a follower of Jesus, you're like figuring this thing out and you're not sure how to do this, I just want to tell you that there is a Savior who loves you, who is for you. He gave his life and he can rescue and redeem you even today. He is good. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, I want to tell you that the gospel is central and we must stay on task and unify around that. And we must fight for that unity together. We do this as we multiply leaders, we multiply ministry, we, we get people involved in things that are in their passions. And, and, and we lead the church to care for the broken things of the world while we also make much of Jesus. And here's why. Here's why this matters so much. I, I, I see kids going in and out of this school. We, we, we know families here. The, the brokenness in their lives is real and visible. I hang out in this community I coach a, a softball team. I am on uh, some things in this city, and I, I, I'm around people, and it's visible that they have deep-rooted needs. I, just a couple weeks ago, I went on a prayer walk in a North St. Louis community, a, a neighborhood that is primarily African-American, and the brokenness and the need there is visible. And the only hope, listen to me, the only hope for our world is Jesus. The only hope for our world is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that our God saves and redeems and cares for people. But how are people in our community going to find Jesus if we are first and foremost fighting over everything else? How is the world going to know about Jesus if they don't look in the church and see love as the defining point of our existence? How, how are they going to meet Jesus if our primary message is something other than Jesus? And how are they going to see Jesus if we are fragmenting over the same things that divide the culture? Be passionate. But if your passion for any issue is more important than your passion for your neighbor to know Christ, it might be out of balance if you're a follower of Jesus. And if it's dividing you and your brother and sister, we need to go have a cup of coffee and we need to talk about it. This church shows multiplication. I want us to as well. Can I get an amen on that? And so that's what we're working toward. Our band's going to come up and we're going to sing to Jesus. We, we love Jesus with all of our hearts. We believe that Jesus is the only one who can unify us. We believe that the gospel is the only message that has the power to make unity, to create unity. And so we, we are going to sing to him together. If you're here today and you're like, okay, this was kind of weird. I didn't know where this was going. I'm not sure what to do with it. But this Jesus guy makes sense to me. At the end of our service, we'll have people over here who would love to talk to you about what it means to follow and trust in Jesus, okay? Uh, and I'd love to have a conversation with you. If you have questions, come talk to me, okay? Uh, if there are... Uh, 
Uh, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus and you need prayer, we would love to pray with you. Our folks over here would love to do that with you as well. Uh, we are going to stand together here in just a minute. We're going to sing. We're going to celebrate the joy of the Lord. We're going to worship our Jesus who saved us. And, and part of our service is, is the giving of an offering. That is not, if you're a guest, that is not for you. That is our way of giving back because we've experienced the beauty of Jesus. All right? Uh, and then we're just going to lift our souls to him so that we can go out from here as people who trust in the gospel and believe in Christ, all right? So let me pray, then we'll stand. Lord, we love you today. Praise you for uh, the story here that you pulled the church together. You did not let them fragment. You raised up new leaders, and they, they chose multiplication. And the gospel was multiplied and keeps multiplying for quite a while in the story. Lord, we want to be, I want to be part of something that is big. I want to be part of a movement of God that changes our culture and changes our world. We cry for the Holy Spirit to start making a difference in the lives of our neighbors and our friends. And we just pray, Lord, that you will help us to be the church uh, in this community that does that. And, and even, Lord, we would pray that, that you would help us have relationships with people from other churches who preach the same gospel and that we would learn to love one another in that way as well. And we, we lift this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.